Hi guys, welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. I'm Alice, back on the mic this week, as Anna Brody is unfortunately very busy. Um, I'm joined by Greg Eden. Thank you so much for stepping in last week as host, producer and guest. It took me ages to figure out who you're talking to. I'm usually called Fido when I'm referring to I know. Oh. I, don't, I don't think I've ever referred to you as Fido though, have I? No, because I think you're the nice one, right? Yeah, so I am the nice one. Get away with that. Everybody's favourite host. Anna told me not to say that, but I mean, <laughs> it's true, isn't it? It is true. It is true. Dirk, you can also agree with that. Sorry, I was taking a sip of coffee, which you're not, really, you're not supposed to have in the studio in case you spill it on Whose the Whose idea was it? Who was very sofa? angry about not having drinks in the studio? I think it might have been you, actually. I was the one that said, let's have a, I said, let's have a no drinking rule. No drinks rule, not no drinking rule. And because somebody And then promptly walked it. in with a coffee. And, no, and, and I was very strict about it. And then somebody else spilt, got the first drink in and spilt it. And since then, I've been a little laissez-faire. Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> Anna Brading spilt a drink within about five minutes of the new studio being here. Yeah. Uh, we're also joined by Peter McKenzie. Welcome back. Hello. And um, P. Ducklin. Hello, folks. Coming up on today's show, Greg is going to be telling us about the exposure of a public bucket from a stalkerware app. Peter, you're telling us about a ransomware attack on a homeless charity. And Duck, you'll be talking about a Amazon phishing attack with a twist. Amazon Prime, in fact. So this stalkerware story, when I read it, I thought was very interesting and there's so much to sort of unpack with that. So you've got a bit more time, Greg, so we can really delve into that in a bit more detail, if you don't mind. So yeah, do you want to start us off? Sure, yeah. Okay, so this story was covered by Naked Security writer Lisa Vass, so thank you, Lisa, for writing this up. So there was this guy called Till Kotman, and he's a Switzerland-based Android developer and security researcher. Kotman sort of regularly tears apart Android apps to see how they work, uh, something in our industry we call reverse engineering. So Kotman got, this ha uh, got their hands on this Android version of an app known as KidsGuard. How ironic a name that is will very quickly become apparent, so bear with me. Okay. So KidsGuard is made by a company called Clevguard. Okay, great naming. See what uh, they did there? It's very smart, isn't it? Clevguard. And is marketed as the ultimate Android monitoring app to keep an eye on your loved ones. Mm. Sounds good already, doesn't it? And it does this by hoovering up, and, their, and this is in their words, all the information. Uh, <laughs> right? so, oh. so they get all the information from a targeted device, which includes real-time location, text messages, browser history, photos, videos, recordings of phone calls, keylogger data for every keystroke entered, uh, and whatever app that it was logged while they were using, uh, and all the data from all the social apps like Facebook and WhatsApp. It will take screenshots of things like when Snapchat's being used. Okay, so you can... Make sure your kids that... are completely safe. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally, yeah. Well, photos that disappear as soon as you look at them. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, because parents need to keep an eye on that, don't they? What could uh, go wrong? This is a grade A stalkerware app, okay? And I'm going to explain this by, if we go back and where it said kids guard, mm. let's just call it spouse guard or partner guard or wife guard or ex-girlfriend guard or mm. ex-boyfriend guard. It suddenly becomes a much more dark and devious an app, uh, devious app, so... Ugh. Um, I'll keep going a little bit because there's some more detail to this. So the app developers achieve all this sort of stalking by hoovering up all that data and putting it in an Alibaba cloud storage bucket. You can't see me doing air quotes, my fingers there, but it's called a bucket. <laughs> um, they, they, uh, they, they control this bucket and it's where all the data goes and then they, they display it in their web portal. So if you log in as a parent or spouse or whoever's using mm. this thing, uh, you can see all that data in the web portal. However, as Kotman discovered, this bucket wasn't secured properly and it was public to the entire 
internet. Wow. So that means, you know, every picture that was taken off that phone, every, every video. Every Snapchat. Yeah, every Snapchat, everything they typed in, which I assume is going to be passwords from web browsers are going to be in that keylogging data. Like, I don't know how it would discern the difference if it's doing keylogging. And how would that be stored? Would they be in, like, separate folders of each phone? So you'd be able to see that this is all of the data from one specific individual. So I didn't look at this, and I don't think we are researchers, looked at the actual data that was stored in the bucket, but in general... Yeah, they took... they. Once it was reported, to be fair, they got rid of it pretty quickly. But I think the word bucket kind of says it yeah, all. I've exactly. never understood that metaphor for storage. Cupboard under the stairs is bad enough. Bucket, you know. <laughs> Cesspit. Yeah. yeah. A bucket is something where you carry a pail of water. By the time you get to the end, you've usually slopped about three quarters of it, of it out. Why does anyone expect that if you're not careful, that isn't going to happen with well, data? The whole point of buckets when they came from like in Amazon vernacular and all that was to be able to take some data and take it somewhere, to carry data yeah. somewhere. So you'd have a have an open bucket, sorry, just a, a bucket that you can put data into. People upload it into there <laughs> and then apps would take Freudian it out of the bucket. Of yeah. I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But suppose, you know, an app's meant to then pull it out of a bucket and put it somewhere else. But then a lot of companies just end up using them as the just permanent storage right. for their app. And that's what's happened here. And it's so surprising, or is it not surprising, that this massive company that knows that they've got this much data is just leaving it wide open without a password and set to public. Like, that's it, crazy. It's sadly errors. one of the most common misconfigurations <laughs> yeah. we see, right? Like, if you're using cloud storage, it's just so common that someone's accidentally flicked a little setting that, you know, has made it public. You know, right. instead of private, and it's or, yeah, it, or, or often, it's read instead of just write. Right. Or that oh well, we need oh so and so needs access temporarily. So oh let's just turn security off temporarily. And like all those people who still have the password, change me. You never get round to changing it back. I mean, so we yeah, we we had a story recently about what was it? This was a, a slightly different sort of surveillance device, the kids' smartwatch, yeah, the smartwatch, which mm. uploaded location to an open bucket. And you, you just think, you know, you have to be more cautious than that. The bucket, it's just a metaphor for a convenient place to store things. It's not the mm. it's not meant to be open. It's not meant but it, it's a terrible mistake to make. And companies, by the way, it's not just that you might expose data that you've collected for customers. This is an egregious example. But companies upload things like their own passwords right. where crooks can go and retrieve them and then but log into the, the company's network. With the smartwatch example, that one was definitely targeted at kids. It was little tiny watches to be put on your children's wrists and the only thing that they were tracking was their location, yeah. which although is also a level of like intrusiveness that I wouldn't be comfortable with. The difference with this app is that it could, it's like, as you say, marketed as being aimed at parents who are looking after their kids. But actually this could be used in like abuse cases against yeah, wives and absolutely. against partners. Because the app hides itself. Right? And the person yeah. using it doesn't know that that's being, they don't know it's on their phone, do they? That's a really good point. So, you know, kids got kind of like any other kind of commercial grade uh, stalkerware app. You typically have to install the app on the device. So I think on it, for Android, you just have to have physical access, download and install the APK. You have to disable a bunch of things like Google Play you Protect and you have to enable third party app stores. You wouldn't need but, um, physical access. So for example, if I log into my Amazon account, any Android devices I've got registered with that account, I can deploy an app to it oh, from the browser. Yeah. That's awful. So you can just push it remotely. It's really handy in <laughs> so normal circumstances. In a normal circumstance. Yeah. And by the, Greg, the, the other thing that these that these apps typically do is that they'll say, oh, well, 
to skirt the issues of whether the other person wants it on the on the phone or not, if it's their phone, why not just buy a phone, install it, and then give it to them as a gift? And we've even written before about companies with similar sorts of apps where they'll let you order a phone with the thing pre-installed in a little gift box. So when you hand it to the other person, the theory is legally if they accept it, then they're kind of taking with it whatever you've Well, they're not because yeah. they don't no. know. No, I'm not, And also, no, I know. could that be the case that anybody's selling a phone, if you buy and sell phones online, yeah, could you yeah. just like completely reset it to factory but have that app that on it? That would be the advice if you ever get an Absolutely. app. Absolutely. But what I'm reset. saying is the person selling it could have it as a completely empty, clear phone so it looks brand new except that app is on there. Well, and this is the most crazy thing, right? So the, the, and this is where, for me, I... Don't I? I, you know, I feel there's something wrong being done. Is the fact that the app tries to hide itself, mm. so it hides itself as a system update app. So once you have got it on the device, it's just going to look like a system update button. You tap it, and I think it's kind of obscures. Even if you open the app, it obscures. So it that. comes up when you're searching for what apps are on my phone. It's called. You will system not find update. kids. Wow. Yeah, it's called. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I've got the full name somewhere. This is notes. not a dodgy app. Yeah. Dot so, app. Yeah. Dot app. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it is. A, it is a rat. Yeah. It's a remote access. It's a remote trojan. access trojan. Yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, I don't think I have it. Full name. Well, no, they, they would no, say it's not a remote access yeah. Trojan, of course, because it's not. It's no, not. it's willingly uploading stuff, and then the remote access is to some other site that was mm. supposed to be secure but was not. But you're right. The problem here is that a it's misrepresenting itself. So it's not just hiding itself. It's actually sort of hiding in plain sight by pretending to be something it isn't. And you know, I I can I guess in in the modern era, the problem is so many phones, when you get them and they're brand new, they have so much so-called bloatware on anywhere, anyway, that if you get half of those things you can't uninstall and the other things, by the time you've gone through all of them, you're probably not going to think, well, system updater, I'll just leave that. What harm could it possibly do? Yeah, exactly. Turns out, in this case, an awful lot. Yeah, exactly. And this is where, you know, under every guise, is it for kids to, to, you know, for parents, sorry, to protect their kids? Because if that's the case, this is still hideously wrong because you're not, it's a breach of trust. It's clearly devised to hide that you're doing this to the child so that the child has no idea, which I think is is a breach of trust. I mean, any kid that's parents like, you know, gives them a device, says, oh, I trust you to have this device and I trust you to use Facebook and I trust you to have Google Chrome and you have access to the internet and all these kind of things. But see, Secretly, I don't trust you, and I'm now going to record everything you do, screenshot your entire private life. I think life. that's the thing that's yeah. really uncomfortable for me. I can understand as a parent if you're thinking, okay, I want to give my children a, a smartphone, mm. but they're going to have social media, they're going to have things like Snapchat, they're going to be able to be accessed by people that I don't know and I can't control. You might be worried about that. Yeah. But the answer to that isn't to sit there and secretly monitor everything they're saying privately yeah. to their friends. That's just, for I me, can't. completely you, intrusive. You know what? Even if you think that is the answer and you think, well, I want to keep tabs on them really closely because I'm worried about them. I can't understand why anyone who wanted to do that had already crossed that bridge with their kids, let alone with their spouse or someone they wanted to spy mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Why they would go, hey, the best way to do this is for me to use an app that takes all that data I'm really, really worried about and gives it to a third party and lets me download it later at my leisure knowing yeah. like, so, yeah, someone I, else has all that now and especially yeah. when things like Snapchat when the idea is it's meant to be gone instantly yeah exactly and now it's not because also um, I think Alice you said this earlier so if you've got this app secretly installed on your, your phone and everything you're doing is being stolen everything that other people communicate to you is also being what stolen. Are, if they yeah. send you pictures or messages, right. that's being stolen as well. Yeah, so it's you're not. Too. So if you're the person that has secretly put it onto your partner's phone, you're not just stealing your partner's data, but 
all of her friends. Right. Yeah, so you'll have probably have a list of every if you've got a list of everybody of the emails that somebody's received. Let's ignore the fact that you could read the content. You've now got a huge list of new email addresses that you know work because somebody actually sent from it to spam and you know what they're interested in. I mean just from the subject line. So even if you take out the creepier parts of cybercrime and just look at spamming and scamming, I mean like the, the amount that you're giving away. Well, there's I'm, an endless amount of things you could have done with that data from the bucket, mm, let alone the yeah. weird people who put this on their partner's phones. They had these other intentions, but now all of that data can be used in so many different ways. Absolutely. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust my children's geolocation data with a third party 100% of the time that they're out, like in that smartwatch case, just because I think even for other people to know where they are all the time is creepy enough. Right. Yeah. But the idea of like every keystroke they type, yep. including stuff that I've taught them, hey, you mustn't reveal your password to anyone. It's really, really important. Don't tell strangers where you live. And now I'm installing an app that does exactly that yep. all Who the time with everything passwords? you type. It's, yeah. it's, it just beggars belief that someone would, would think that that's sort of like intellectually So what balanced. is the legality around this? Are these apps legal in the UK, in the US? It's, I mean, so the, this is where I get really kind of concerned because like the, the app is posed as like a children's parenting app. And I think at surface, you know, a surface glance over it almost looks like a, oh, a, a sensible thing for parents to be doing, to be, you know, keeping an eye on what their kids are doing, make sure they don't go on dodgy websites. You know, I think that's a common thing. Parents don't want their kids to be able to get to websites. Mm. That's typically just blocking their right. access to websites, not monitoring right. their access, like as in let them get there, but record it. Ooh. But so... But it's marketed about kids. Well, of course, a lot of these blockers do retain a list anyway of the yeah. things that they block because kind of what's the point of doing it otherwise? But but this is marketed about monitoring kids and being a parent and so on, which I think there's probably a bit more leniency for, you know, you know this might be seen as a, a suitable thing to do to keep a kid safe, right, in the modern day. But the moment you change the word out from kids to spouse or wife, you know, which is the real common scenario these right. apps are used for, it makes me question, is this app actually under the guise of a uh, parental monitoring app, but it's actually designed for any blanket, you know, monitoring use? And is and, that legal, though, to well, put an app on somebody's well, phone that they really, don't know? Yeah, we're, we're, doing we're, 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 none of us are lawyers, so let's not go there because we can't be actually sure. What we do know from other companies that have sold this kind of thing in the past, um, I won't mention the name, but there's a well-known example that they'd obviously gone to their lawyers and crossed this bridge and they just sold this thing. They were selling it in the United States in, I forget which state it was. And they said, we're selling this uh, because it's legal. As far as we can tell, it's legal for us to sell it. The onus is on you to know whether it's legal for you to use it in any way. If yeah. in doubt, ask a lawyer, don't blame us yeah, if you use this and it turns out that in your part of the world it's illegal. Yeah. We're selling it to the entire world. If it's illegal to buy in your country, well, that's your fault for buying right. it. Yeah. But, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd hope that if in places where this kind of thing is commonplace, you'd hope that the regulators, even even if you decide that it's useful to have an app that keeps tracks on, track of a little bit of what your kids do, then, in my opinion, the owner should be on any company that's collecting that data. They should be a zillion times better than the smartwatch that leaked the data. This thing that leaked even more data, making it a, a, a million times well, the, worse. I mean, there's certainly, I mean, this kind of stalking and so on, you know, is very likely to be illegal in many cases. It depends on the circumstance of the app's being used. But um, 
the one thing that also concerns me is like things like GDPR don't just uh, mean that the company that's, you know, make the app would be responsible for the security of that data, but also those that have chosen to install the app on, on other people's devices. So actually, even though you might think a lot of the risk would be just all with Clevguard or whatever, you know, the, man the makers of this app, in many different jurisdictions, that's not going to be the case. And it actually could also include the parent that's going to put it on their device. Well, and also I was going to ask, when you say how they market themselves as an app for parents to look after their children, where are they marketing themselves? Are they on the app store? If like on Android, you have to install it as a third party, from a third party source, right. which means actually you have to turn off a security feature of Android just to get this app installed. And I think they also ha ask you to uninstall um, Play Protect. So it's a very grey area, isn't it? But it's a very ugly grey area. So I think we're running out of time for this topic, but it's obviously caused a lot of discussion with us. So maybe we'll put something on Twitter of what do you guys think? Do you think it's okay to put these kind of things on your children's phones to track them or not? Um, Greg, to finish up, do you have any advice for people regarding this kind of stuff? I mean, my one personal piece of advice, if you're a parent that thinks using these kind of apps is suitable, uh, just have an, an extra think about it. Um, you know, <laughs> because these kind of apps, you, you know, whilst you may think you're doing a service to your child, in this instance, you've done something even worse. You've breached their trust uh, and you've also lost a lot of their personal information in the mm. process. There's um, got to be better options out there. If you are genuinely worried that your your kid is doing something or speaking to the wrong people, I'd like to believe there are services out there. It's called a conversation, Peter. You sit down and have a conversation <laughs> yeah, with your, yeah. with your well, child. That's, you know, that's I, easier said than done. But, I get yeah. that. But, but I mean, I, you know, I, I come from a family. We, I, I grew up with access to computers, and I remember regularly having these conversations, and it mm. was it's a constant dialogue. It's not just like, you, you know, one day you get given a computer. It was a constant, like, who do you talk to? Show me what apps you use. You know, my parents actually wanted to use the computer with me at the same time. We would, you know, I would show them what I was doing with it, and, and they'd get an idea about it. Like, th there's... You know, it trusts a two-way street. You know, if the parents going to give trust to their kids, the kids should also be able to trust their parents. And also, um, as humans, we make mistakes, and you have to yeah. learn from those mistakes. If you just keep your kids in a bubble where yeah. they can't explore onto something that they think, "Oh God, I shouldn't have looked at that," or "I shouldn't have done that," then they'll never, they'll never, you yeah. know, they'll make more mistakes as an adult. Well, in this case, you're not keeping them in a bubble; you're keeping their stuff in a bucket with a giant hole <laughs> yeah, in it. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that bubble has popped. Okay, so we've covered the kind of uh, parent angle, but what if you're in a relationship, or you're just worried? That someone's put something like this on your phone, what would your advice be? Yeah, if you go onto the Naked Security article right at the bottom, we'll put it in the yeah, show I'll notes. Yeah, link it. Um, I, I think there's a link to some guidance where I think it's actually you, Paul, who wrote the notes of just how to, to, to find this app and how to go and remove it. But um, there are loads of other apps out there like this. This is not the only one. Mm. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend installing a decent security app on your phone. Uh, we have Sophos Incept X for mobile, but there's plenty of other reputable apps out there that will give you at least some good chance of finding these kind of apps as vendors like ourselves are increasingly recently trying to hunt them down and get them marked as badware. Okay. And if you're really, really worried about a phone that you got, maybe you bought one secondhand, you think, oh, I wonder what was left behind on mm. it. Take the time to go to your favourite search engine, whether it's an iPhone or an Android, and learn for the model you've got how to do, well, Apple call it a, a DFU. Uh, Android, you, you get a similar system where it's not just a factory reset that wipes the data. You basically start afresh with a new install of the operating system and apps and everything, and you kind of leave the ills of the past behind. Okay, cool. Thank you. That's really good advice. So moving on, Peter, you're going to talk about a ransomware attack against a homeless charity. So you alluded to this in a former episode, I think. So yeah, I think have you it was got two more weeks of an ago, was it? Yes. Or maybe, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so a homeless charity um, 
came to us after getting hit uh, by Ryak ransomware. So we've discovered uh, discussed Ryak on several occasions. Mm. So it's one of the, um, the ones we mentioned in in my list of the the big game or the big players of the ransomware world targeting large organisations. But it's not just large large organisations. It's small companies as well, and in this case, a homeless charity. Ryak are the million dollar plus crew. Yeah, five six million. But obviously, I mean. The smaller ransom demands now for them are $100,000, that kind of thing. Oh, discount. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Goodness me. Um, now, Ryak is the one that um, it comes in via more automated means to start with. So a victim is typically already infected with the Emotet worm, which is pretty much, I think it's the largest botnet yeah, pretty much. Ever, yeah, possibly, yeah. I'm guessing now. Um, so you get infected with Emotech, which typically comes in through an email. User clicks on an attachment or a link on the email, and either way, they end up getting Emotech on the machine. It spreads to all of their machines very quickly. It's very good at doing that. And then it deploys another ransomware, uh, sorry, another malware. And that can be one of a few different ones, but the main one is TrickBot. TrickBot will steal all your banking details, among other things. Um, and then... You, I, I, in my head, I imagine that the attackers are sitting, watching their little cloud console of all their trickbot infections, saying, right, we've got 50,000 infections in this country, 100,000 in this country, and they're getting their daily reports saying, right, we've just managed to get domain admin from this network. And this is probably fairly realistic to what they're doing, to be fair. So they can see, right, we've got a domain admin account. This network, we've already identified they've got at least 1,000 machines that sounds like a good target for a ransomware attack. So we'll get TrickBot to launch some malicious PowerShell that connects back to our call home server and gives us access. And now suddenly the attackers are sort of hands-on keyboard in your network rather than just being all automated with the Emotet and TrickBot before. And they're using things like RDP to move around. They're identifying where your servers are, where all your endpoints are, what other accounts you've got. And then... In the middle of the night... Golly, if only your own IT department yes, were, that, were that diligent. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and then oh, it was typically terrible. what happens is, um, and it's what happened to these guys, uh, it was the middle of a the night, um, they got onto a domain controller, they'd already had access for, for sort of manual access for about three days, and from that domain controller they created some batch scripts and some text files that had all the lists of the machines they were going to target, and then they used Microsoft PS Exec, which is a common admin tool. Yeah, ancient um, admin yes, tool. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah, used for. I mean, it's regularly updated. Yeah, 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 but it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's it's a tool for deploying scripts and deploying executables yeah. across the network. Very handy tool, um, which is why attackers like to use it. And they they use PSExec to run through these lists of machines and basically simple copy executable from domain controller to endpoint on list, server on list, and then a second batch script to basically do the same, but instead of copying the file, it would just execute the file on the machine. And over a matter of hours, um, this customer, or it wasn't a customer at the time, but um, they have about 150 endpoints and about 20-odd servers, and uh, it was about 16 of their servers got encrypted, and uh, it was about 80, so about half of their endpoints. Um, and that's basically the yeah. ones that were still left on overnight. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it would have been all of them. Um, now, for, for Ryak, I lost count of how many Ryak incidents I've investigated now. Um, we're probably coming up on 100 or so, I imagine. And what I thought was unusual about this is 
uh, all the ones I've investigated, I don't remember ever seeing a charity hit before. Mm. I've seen plenty of hospitals and private sector and towns and government organisations, but I couldn't remember. I'm not saying there hasn't been one, but I couldn't remember one being hit before. So we came in. You mean they've lost their scruples suddenly, have they? Maybe. I mean, I, I can't believe they've run out of targets, Sorry, to be honest. Sorry, that was a very poor they had scruples at any point. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they didn't realise. I mean, it's perfectly legit a possibility. They just didn't realise. Um, I mean, if you, they would have known the domain, and if they'd opened the website, so much more graceful to hit a hospital, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so they launched the attack, and the this um, charity, they um, obviously a charity, not a huge amount of funds for IT or cyber. Mm. Uh, they didn't have any antivirus at all, other than embedded Windows protection. So that was all they had. Unfortunately, it didn't help them. And, yes, they came to us to deploy our sort of technology and help them through this. And we've been working with them for the last few weeks, and their network is, is a challenge, um, to be polite. Um, they have a lot of unprotected machines, a lot of machines that are already infected with TrickBot, and it's putting up a good fight. But we've been deploying all the software, and we've been getting control of the situation. But then last week on... Um, was it the 18th, I think it was, um, we started seeing new PowerShell executions. This is encoded PowerShell uh, connecting up to an IP address in the Netherlands, uh, hosting a thing called Cobalt Strike. And oh. we saw these connections, and we were catching, we are detecting these connections. So that's good. You know, we're blocking it. It's not, it's not good that it's yeah. still happening. Um, but, of course, whenever we see these detections, especially on a network, we know they still have unprotected machines. We have to go, well, we've stopped it here, but where haven't we stopped it? Where are the unprotected yeah. machines we don't know about? And within 24 hours, so the next night, basically, we started seeing files being dropped across the network that have been picked up by machine learning and by our anti-ransomware technology. And we're looking at these and going, this is right. And these are not the files that were used in the first attack. This was new files. We identified the account that was being used, which was an IT admin's account. And going, this is not the account that was used last time. They're back. So they've hit this charity twice and we completely prevented any damage in this second attack because we were there and we were able to intervene. We found the account, as I said, so we disabled that account. We uh, identified that the attack was being deployed from a file server, an unprotected file server. So we isolated that machine. Attack was stopped. No more damage. Even when the files were dropped onto machines, they were picked up automatically removed. So no damage, which is really good. But it just... I, I found it very shocking. A, I've never seen them hit a charity before. I think this is the third time I've ever seen them come back and hit a target twice. Mm. So that was unusual. And why as would well. they do that? Because the charity doesn't have many anything left, really, does it? No. Well, no. I, I mentioned last time. This is the really um, sad part. They didn't have any cyber insurance, and they had actually approached. This is the really sad part. They'd actually approached the bank to help with the loan to pay the ransom. Right. That's what we left off last time we were talking. Yeah. About. Now. Well, you might say for obvious reasons, the bank declined this. Oh. Uh, you know, I mean, it's obviously not a great business True. model That's to go with. Them, and so you think the, the crooks were thinking, hey, maybe they managed to get some cyber insurance in the interim and next time they will be able to pay? 
mean, who knows? They're not probably checking. But sorry, no. cliffhanger here though. So did, does that mean they weren't? They didn't. They weren't able to restore the data. They haven't paid the ransom. So they and so they're left with hardly anything, and then they get hit again. Yeah. Well, and so from the ransomware's point of view, they're probably thinking, well, they didn't pay. So I'm going to punish them again really? until they pay. I mean, wow. that would be my first thought. Why? I mean, if they paid, you're probably going to move right. on to someone else. Yeah. But well, this kind of goes with their name, Ryuk, right? Ryuk is the because ne- it's a character from a manga from called Death Note, and Ryuk's like some kind of demon that gets bored, wants to cause some chaos, and drops a notebook into the world that if anyone writes in it, that person dies. If you write oh, someone's really? name, they die. Oh, so when you think about Charming. them as a group named after effectively a bored demonic character. <laughs> It kind of makes sense. They, yeah. I mean, this is clearly. I mean, this is this is a low blow. This is you know yeah. going after charities who you know don't have like lots of liquid assets. They're not a company that's rolling in money. That money's tied up in projects and and you know paying off like you know just be careful there, Greg. I don't think it's a higher blow to go after hospitals, municipalities, local I governments. I get that, but, yeah. but in terms no, of no one... There's, is, no good, there's no good to this. Yeah. I, I'm not suggesting that at all. But what I'm saying is that, like, this is a... This is, it's a particularly this is, sad case. If they're, looking, yeah. if they're looking at a list of targets of who to go after, this would always be at the, at the bottom of any list of which is a high-value target. Right. I would always put, you know, a charity. Because, again, they just don't have this kind of money. Even if you take the, you know, let's assume they have no morals... Even from the financial, you know, return on investment, you've got to assume this is a low chance of that return. So, Peter, just out of interest, you say they had no cybersecurity to begin with. I'm interested how you get involved in this. If you're a charity and you've been hit by ransomware, it's ruined your business, whatever, how do they go to suddenly having you there to help them through this? Uh, Well, they, so uh, they approached their IT provider who you know they work with you know they're a small organization they work with a third party to do all their IT work uh, that IT provider is a Sophos partner so they recommended putting Sophos on their network and then that ended up Sorry, Pete's not Pete's not doing himself a good service here. This is your team, the managed threat response. Yeah, team this here. is yeah. So they um they went with the managed threat response, which is the managed service where we can come in and help, you know, yeah. monitor your security. I go out to a lot of cybersecurity conferences. I talk on this, these kind of topics. And, you know, I've been make, trying to make this point for a while, which is that, you know, people are really scared about viruses and malware still. And most companies are now like, yeah, we've got anti- antivirus on our endpoints, you know, not recognizing that. One of the biggest problems is hackers, right? You mentioned that Ryuk is the end of this whole story, right? It's Ryuk got in and, you know, dropped ransomware everywhere. Hacking is but the new malware. Hacking is the new malware. There's several stages of this attack. They've had Emotet and... Uh, you know, trick bots, you know, they, infections for goodness knows how they, long. Well, we, we found that they had Emotet for at least two months. Two months. Of ba- yeah. So hackers had manual access to their networks. Well, they had, they had the, the automated to. part of the attack started at least two months ago from right. the machines we've investigated. Um, the more manual, as I hands-on keyboard kind of part, that started three days prior to the Ryuk attack. Right. I think people need to remember that every zombie or bot malware that you will ever see, even the ones that maybe specialise that they're only interested in keylogging on, they're only interesting, interested in looking for password database files. Every single one I've seen also includes an update thyself and or install new program facility. So whenever you've got a zombie, whatever it does, that's never the full story yeah. because 
at will, the crooks can upgrade, update, switch, swap, put two malwares on, three malwares on. When TrickBot, when they've got all the data that they need and they made all the money they're going to make and they can look in their console and see revenue from you is going down, then they can sell you on to the next guy and say, hey, lovely yeah. ransomware target well, I, I saw on the news today, so this is a trend we've also covered, that um, some of these big ransomware um, groups, they're now stealing data as well and then publishing it if you don't pay, or oh. saying they will publish it if you oh, don't gosh. pay. Yes, so, um, <laughs> so Doppelpaymer ransomware uh, mm. is another one that is, uh, this is one of the big ones. So, so Doppelpaymer, uh, Bitpaymer, and iEncrypt are all basically the same ransomware, just slightly different variants of it. Doppelpaymer kind of says it all, doesn't yeah, it? Double and payment. And like, I, if you don't give us the money, you'll go down the tubes anyway. Well, they, um, so they, as of, I saw the article this morning, they have now created a public, well, it's on the dark web, a publicly available website um, that lists their victims and the data that they've stolen from them. And it's, you know, they've made it public for the people that don't pay. So Doppelpaner <laughs> have now said they will now be publishing their victims' data if they don't pay. Wow. And that, that goes with the trend of um, uh, Revel and, uh, what was it, um... Uh, is it Medusa? I think they've said it as well. And Maze Ransomware, they're kind of the ones that started this. So, yeah. So this is extortion plus plus. Yeah, and this is this is just proves, look, the day the ransomware, you know, most of the victims I speak to that have had ransomware, you ask them, when did this attack start? And they say, well, the encryption started today. I say, no, no, no. When did this actually start? Because yeah. you'll find it's days or weeks or months earlier. And it's that end of... You know, I find so many people that are like, oh, who's going to hack me? What have I got that they want? You know, I'm not going to be a target. You know, the amount of companies I meet that will go through a kind of threat modeling and risk kind of analysis and they'll be like, right, well, we're a small charity and we've only got, you know, a hundred and something computers and we don't have that much money. Who would target us? You what have are they going to hack for Processing us? power. So yeah. at the very least they could put a coin miner on your network. But, it, but this is proof, isn't it, right, that the... the this, these are the kind of stories which always hit the headlines as company hit by ransomware, not mm. company got hacked and then several weeks later the hackers got bored and dropped ransomware. They never yeah. tell that full story of this company had hackers in their network yeah. for an incredibly long period of time, longer than they should have been. And I think that's, this, that's I think, the key takeaway people need to recognise here yeah. is that it's not just about having antivirus, which, as this company did, they, this charity had the default antivirus that comes with their computers' operating systems yep. that we're not going to name to be mean. Um, <laughs> but... It wasn't enough. It wasn't, you know, it's a fine antivirus, but it's oh, yeah. not there to stop And it hackers. detected plenty of Emotes and TrickBot, but yeah. there was no intervention by the company. They didn't realise what was going on and step <sighs> yeah. in. Thank you, Peter. Um, so that's all we've got time for on that. Duck, you're going to talk us through an Amazon fish with a twist. Yes, it was quite fascinating. And in one of the many accounts that we have uh in amongst the naked security team email accounts, we regular some of them are quite old and we don't use them that much anymore. So they're kind of interesting to see what we get from the crooks. And in this case, we received uh, a, a not just an Amazon fish, an Amazon Prime fish. And the subject line was along the lines of Amazon account locked, confirm your identity. Dear suspended user, there's an Amazon logo. Your Prime membership account has been suspended due to the following problems below. Blah 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 blah. Click here to verify account. And the threat in, in the, the threat explicit in there was, by the way, if you don't do anything within 24 hours, your account won't just be suspended. We'll deactivate it. So if you don't want your account, <laughs> if you don't want the account anymore, you don't have to do anything, and we'll delete it. High otherwise, <laughs> otherwise. So it was yeah. kind of high pressure, low pressure. So we 
Although we think that the, the average naked security reader would probably spot this fish, there are lots of things wrong with it. Dear suspended user, dot dear, not dear Alice, you know, grammar errors, uh, weird English, and and it, it smells of fish. So we but we like to investigate these things because we think that they make they make good learning experiences, particularly for readers who want to show them to friends and family and say, this is how it all unfolds. So I said, OK, I'll, I'll dig into this and see where it goes, which sites it jumps off and what the final fishing page is like. So what happened in the end was very different to what I expected. I imagined that I would jump through a few sites that have been hacked which is a good reason, as Greg was saying, you're never too small for the crooks. If your site your site could merely be a jumping off point for the crooks to be able, you're providing them free sucker and service to be able to attack other people. So it jumped off a couple of sites. One was a Spanish PR company. Ironically, their homepage said in Spanish, um, it, it, it's the first impression that counts. So my first impression of the site was, oh dear, you've been hacked. Uh, and that redirected me to a company in the Middle East, which makes sunshades and awnings. Quite good-looking products, actually. I wouldn't, if I needed a sunshade, I'd probably go and buy one of theirs. We'll if the if their site the hadn't been well, hacked. Yeah. No, but, you know, the point is that then, then their site, and I expected that what I would end up in, what we try and do is we get the fishing page and we get the real page side by side so you can see how close and accurate the crooks are these days. But that wasn't what happened. What happened is I presume that either the crooks had copied and pasted the wrong URL into the phishing email or the site that they'd hacked to got hacked by a second guy before the emails went out. I got straight into a remote access backdoor page, PHP script, that gave me complete access to this site that is supposed to be selling me awnings and sunshades, uh, including the kind of thing. So I didn't need, there was no need for a username. There was no need for a password. This is a PHP script that's been injected somewhere into the site, probably using an unpatched bug, probably in a WordPress plugin that hadn't been updated for ages. And then by going back to the URL where the crooks have dropped this PHP file, what they get is no username needed, no password needed, full control over the WordPress server. So not only can they then easily, with one click, upload the next page they want in their phishing campaign. Oh, let's do this bank today. Let's do Amazon tomorrow. Let's do let's do this particular retail company the day after. They can also go and browse through and download and modify anything they want you on the site. You could have given yourself a nice discount on an awning. <laughs> well, we live in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. I, I, I can't quite see the need for one here. Um, Maybe if they sell umbrellas. Yeah. And, you know, th this didn't look like... This looked like what you might call small-time, probably youngster cyber crook, in my opinion. It it ticked all the, hey, I am Supreme Hacksaw dude. Uh, <laughs> Pirate Skull, Comic Sans font, you've got to do that. <laughs> Black background, bragging about being a hacksaw, including using the word hacksaw. But ah, yes. nevertheless, all this particular person had had to do was to essentially sneak one scrambulated PHP file into the wrong place, just get it injected into the wrong place on the server, and they could come back at will and do pretty much anything they wanted. They didn't need to log in via WordPress. They didn't need to know a password. And, of course, because they're not going in via WordPress's own admin console, there are none of the controls that the WordPress admin console itself would apply. So you can go and basically change anything. And unfortunately, 
the crooks relying on security through obscurity, anyone who knows this URL, which means anyone who got this fish, could just wander into that site. And it may seem small time, but that means that anyone else could take this over and do their own phishing from exactly that site without mm. needing to do any hacking of their own. Yeah. All just basically point, click, act. Terrifying, really. It does sound like a copy and paste fail on their part. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I don't think that was intended to fish a bunch of people and give them access to their backdoor. Like, yeah. I'd love to know, think that a second hacker yeah. swooped in, but I think, yeah, you're probably right you, that they just put the wrong link. You'd be surprised really? how often that does happen because if you think about it, it I, I was about to say I didn't mean to be a little bit insulting by talking about small-time cyber crooks, but maybe I did mean to be insulting because <laughs> they're cyber crooks after all. That These guys don't need to sit around going, okay, let me get a list of companies. Let me try and hack into these guys. Let me try and hack into those guys. Let me try and hack into the third. What they can do is they can use automated techniques or publicly available internet content search engines like Shodan and Census to go looking for, find mm. me all the sites that are running WordPress that have got this weird photo album upload buggy plugin version 17 and a half and tell me what oh, they are. really? Get a list and then they already know how to get in. They basically know I go to this weird URL, I upload this script, then I go back to the same URL and I'm completely in. So the problem is that if your security is weak and one guy can get in easily using automated techniques, so can the second and the third and yep. the fourth and the fifth. We, we see this with so with coin miners that are spread via the eternal blue vulnerability. So we've, we've seen this where because so many attackers were abusing Eternal Blue to spread coin miners, that coin miners started assuming that if I can get onto this machine via Eternal Blue, someone already probably has. So the first thing they do is check if other coin miners are running, terminate them, and <laughs> really? then install theirs. Oh, wow. There's no and, other and the, But then we also yeah. saw that after they, they go and terminate the coin miners, they install the, theirs, and then they can patch the machine so that no, so one, no else one else can come in afterwards. <laughs> Wow, that is amazing. This is again going back to that point we made on the previous story about that. You know, what have I got that you know someone would want to hack? Like, why would anyone want to hack me? Is that yeah, your your small time awnings website, that web server could be a really useful staging server for a hacker. And actually, you're being yeah. hacked to become the instrumentation for yet further hacks. Yeah. Now, your short sight in securing your server or your infrastructure results in countless other people yeah. being compromised. Absolutely. If yeah. you're not part of the solution, you're definitely part yeah. of the problem. Yeah. So to finish us up, Doug, what advice can you give us then? Look, as, as, as Greg said, there's no website too small. It matters because... If the if crooks get onto your net onto your server and all they do is use it to stage malware to the next guy, your website is the one that's going to get block listed listed by security companies by the major browsers. Your customers are going to realise that you've had a security problem, which will put them off, and new customers are just going to skip your site and go to the next guy. So it's going to hurt you, even if you're not infected. Your business will be affected. The second thing that you need to do is, you. we say this over and over again, patching and updating is important, particularly if you're running a content management system, a WordPress, a Joomla, a Drupal, all of that stuff. And it's not just enough to update the operating system and the core software like WordPress can look after itself. But if you added a whole lot of plugins because they thought they were cool, that's where a lot of the ways that the crooks get in bugs in plugins that you haven't patched for ages, that nobody's maintaining anymore. You need to go and review those. It does take time, but it's absolutely important to do so. And the last thing is, 
if you're keeping logs, it's very, although the crooks once they're in can go and fiddle with your logs and kind of lie to you about what you've seen, it's very unlikely that if you bothered to look, you wouldn't see at least some evidence that crooks have been wandering around in your network. So if you are collecting logs that could reveal crooks in your network and you never look at those logs, stop collecting them. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your disk space. So make sure that you, the only thing worse than being hacked is being hacked and then realising that if you'd spent five minutes three days ago, you would have been able to stop it yeah. in the first place. Not that I feel strongly about it. <laughs> oh, may I say one last thing? If, like me, if you get that euro, like that fish that's gone all wrong, and you suddenly find yourself without any original evil intention on one of these backdoor pages... Resist the temptation to go looking around because you're the person who will show up in the logs yeah. as the guy who went looking you're now where the you know you're not supposed to be. So I know it sounds like fun, but basically get out and uh, don't go where angels fear to tread. It can end badly. Well, unless you want to get a free ride to the police station in a white van. <laughs> Good advice. Well, thank you, guys. Um, let's wrap up by telling us where we can find you on social media. Peter? I am on Twitter at Alt Shift Print Screen. Greg? You can find me on Twitter as at Secbug, and you can also find me on Reddit as Secbug. Duck? I am on Twitter at DuckBlog, and I am on Instagram at PDucklin. Do you post on Instagram? Well, I have. Right. I mean, so yes. I mean, I'm going to say I'm going to say I'm at Ali Rouge on Twitter, but I also don't really post. Um, I post and on Twitter. Yeah, Instagram. I'm a bit thin. I mean, but, I'm a big know. fan of Naked Security on Twitter, though. Um, and you can also <laughs> follow right. Twitter. Uh, you can also follow Naked Security on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we go live every week where we discuss the stories of the week. Rate and review the podcast. It really helps us climb up the rankings and get more exposure. And thanks for listening. Until next time, stay, stay secure. secure.